My guest this week is business school professor Maria Nadiva. We talk about her academic career and how it led her to launch the Money Principle blog, where she helps people to grow income, end debt, build wealth, and love their lives. Welcome to episode 147 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey folks, and welcome to the show. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the Marketing and Finance Podcast. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plug me and my guests into your earphones. As always, I'm Roger Edwards. I'm a marketing guy from Edinburgh. I help people like you and businesses like yours to keep your marketing strategy simple and the BS at bay. This week, we're keeping money simple, we're keeping wealth simple, and I'm talking to Maria Nadiva about her Money Principle blog. We chat about the four pillars of the game of wealth, igniting the spark of curiosity in young people about money, how to refocus from teaching to learning, how massive personal debt led Maria to decide to launch the Money Principle blog, and why baby boomers might be a better obsession for marketers than millennials. Maria is Professor of Science and Innovation Dynamics and Policy at the Manchester Business School. She teaches students about innovation, policy and creativity, and talks to Prime Ministers about how best to spend the science budget of their countries. Massive consumer debt motivated her to learn all about personal finance, and she launched the Money Principle blog to help people to grow their income, cut debt, build wealth, and most importantly, to love their lives. So let's get straight into that interview with Maria right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Maria, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Good of you to have me, Roger. Thank you. Maria, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from today? Of course, I'm in Edinburgh as always. And I'm in Manchester. Manchester. Fantastic. I grew up not far from Manchester, actually. I grew up in Blackpool, which is probably only about 50 miles away from Manchester. So uh, similar parts of the world in our history. Both Northerners. <laughs> Maria, you've got a fascinating story to tell. You're you're currently a, a, a professor, a university business school professor, but you've also got a really interesting money website called The Money Principle. And I'd really like to explore your story today and, and let you tell us how you got from being a professor to launching a website about money, which isn't actually related to what you are a professor in, but I'm sure that that will develop in the story. But before we get into that, Maria, maybe give the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a little bit of background about yourself and where you came from and where you're going and what your ambitions are and and ultimately what makes Maria Nadiva tick? (laughs) Thank you, Roger. No pressure then. All the existential questions in one (laughs) sentence. Where I come from, um, I was born in Bulgaria, Mm -hmm. in a small place near the Greek border. Um, I left Bulgaria when I was 26, 27. I came here because I had a Soros-funded fellowship 
to do something at Manchester University. And this something was about sociology and philosophy of science and science policy. Um, I'm not going to bother your listeners with that, but the reason my background matters actually in all that is because um, my background was very, very conducive to me becoming a university professor because Eastern Europe and Southern Europe were quite intellectual places, Mm -hmm. but it was completely not preparing me to what I've started doing and what I write about on the money principle. Let's put it this way, uh, debt, my parents never had the debt apart from buying their apartment, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, In this, Bulgarians are quite traditional like many continental people. But the place where particularly there's a large divergence is about investing because nobody in communist Eastern Europe uh, was talking about investing. Uh, Where I'm going... I suspect that I'm going where most people my age, I'm over 50, are going. I'm going towards retirement, and I really hope that it will be an early one because I would have managed to create sufficient investments to not have to be employed within about two years. I'm a similar age to you, Maria, as well. And, I, and I, I, ever since I left big corporate, I've sort of um, had a, a portfolio career. So I do I do consultancy work for people that I want to work with, but I don't actually have a full-time job. So some people do tell me that I am actually semi-retired, although it doesn't feel like it a lot of the time. So maybe give me a little bit of a feel for what you did when you arrived in the UK. How did you, how did you go about training and deciding on the subject that you were going to become a business school professor how did that happen ah now uh, this started before i arrived in the uk uh, roger because um actually all my life ever since i was about 18 and i was in my first or second year at university in bulgaria um i've had very very acute interest in sociology and philosophy of science mm-hmm. So basically, I want to know how people know that you know mm-hmm. what they know. Um, and um, what happened was that I did a sociology degree at Sofia University. And then I did a PhD in sociology of science mm-hmm. in Bulgaria. And after that, I came here where I did another master's and another PhD in science policy. So I'm one of these crazy mad people who have done actually two PhDs, right? And from then, of course, uh, kind of the academic trajectory is something that is natural. And I've never, ever until recently wanted to be anything else than an academic. Mm -hmm. I think it is profoundly gratifying to enrich the treasure chest of knowledge that we as humanity possess. And there is nothing better than lighting the spark of curiosity in 18, 19-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. Right? That is something I used to live for. Now, the universities in the UK have gone very in a very bad way lately, so I don't want to be employed by university any longer, particularly not one in the UK, but I still, that is what makes me tick. You asked me, what does make Maria Nadeva tick? And I think that's one of it. I I like supporting people in broadening their horizons in terms of knowledge and experience. I find that actually quite fascinating. I don't really think I've ever thought of this before, but obviously you describe yourself as an academic and and you've got lots of um, 
PhDs, degrees, etc., masters, as, you, as you've explained. But a lot of people get into academia because they like to suck in knowledge and they like to learn and they like to they like to theorize. But does that necessarily make academics good teachers? Now, it sounds to me as if you love that teaching environment and you like sparking curiosity and you like getting people to think but is that is that necessary does does academia necessarily lead somebody to be a good teacher not necessarily no Mm. and then um i also have done quite a few leadership roles at manchester university Mm -hmm. and um, i always argued that uh in all walks of life we have to refocus from teaching to learning. Mm-hmm. What makes you a good teacher is that you focus on people's learning. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's kind of a very interesting game. And then, as um, with many other occupations in academia, you also have to move from consumer to producer. Mm-hmm. Simply, kind of uh, sucking in the knowledge that already exists doesn't make you a good academic, it makes you erudite, and Mm -hmm. you don't need to be in academia to be that. What makes you a good academic, both researcher and teacher, or master, or mistress supreme, if you prefer, you can edit this out if you want, uh, is uh, that you become a producer. Mm -hmm. So I have published many academic papers, some cited hundreds of times, which in social sciences is pretty good going. Um, I have a lot of international research projects. I'm quite well known as an academic in the United States and Europe and parts of Asia, particularly mm-hmm. Korea, I think. So, so that is what makes you starting to produce. But it's the same in everything. It's the same in personal finance. It's the same in self-help or understanding any kinds of uh, human behavior. It's the same with any creativity-related area to become a producer. And, of course, you are a prolific producer, as you said. You've written books, you've written papers, and you do quite a lot of keynote speeches as well, don't you? Yes, I do that as well. And and more recently, interestingly, I've started doing that in personal finance as well. Mm-hmm. And that is something I would like to do more of. Mm-hmm. So I don't only front uh, philosophy of science and sociology of science conferences, but also uh, speak at personal finance events. So let's explore a little bit as to how you made that transition from sociology and academia into personal finance because actually when you when you look at it, it it seems like a bit of a weird leap and was it the debt situation that you found yourself in that effectively created the spark that led to you creating the money principle website yes that was the catalyst because there is um, i always like to make uh, to distinguish between causes and reasons mm-hmm. okay um the causes are the profound kind of um, patterns that mean that something may happen or may not if the conditions are right and the reasons are the conditions that are right right mm-hmm. so um it's kind of very interesting because uh the the obscene amount of debt that my husband and i found ourselves in for your listeners we had at the beginning of 2010 we had hundred thousand pounds worth of consumer debt mm-hmm. which means that this include excludes mortgage mm-hmm. uh, of course uh, kind of me becoming ambitious and totally focused. Now, that is where the academic academic thing plays um, big time, Roger, because um, academics, good academics are obsessive. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So once we found ourselves in debt, I became totally focused and obsessed with figuring out everything about paying off debt and learning most of what there is to know about money mm-hmm. and how it works and how it functions. So I did that. And then a year later, first I I, I, wrote, I wrote a diary on the Money Saving Expert website, okay. which had a kind of very cult following. And then I thought, why would I do that if this is property of Martin Lewis? Yes. That, that is not a, a very good thing to do. As much as I respect him, my intellectual property should be my intellectual property. So I thought, why don't I start the money principle, right? Or I thought, why don't I start a blog? Now, the trouble was I didn't know what a blog is. Mm. So I asked my husband and he explained and I didn't even understand what it is. So uh, that was February 2011. And in March 2011, I started the money principle. So this is how long it took me to learn what a blog is. And I still actually keep some of the early articles on the money principle because it's very interesting how... My writing has changed. Everything has changed. I think so. I think it's always quite nice to leave some of your early stuff because it's it's how you got there. It's part of your journey. I've done the same thing with my blogs, which have been around since about 2006. And also I do quite a lot of video on YouTube. And some of the early ones are really quite cringe-inducing. You know, you look at them and you think, oh, that's awful. Just delete it, delete it. But I resist the temptation to delete it because it's actually been part of how I've developed as a content marketer. And I think in some respects it's nice to leave it there. It is very, very nice to leave it there. But uh, you see, the debt was only one of the reasons I started the money principle. Mm-hmm. The other one yeah. is, as you as you mentioned already, I've written quite a few things, mm-hmm. including books and edited books. But you see, academe is a very weird place where um, you spend a lot of time writing something that about five people in the world read <laughs> yes you see so i have I, I told you i have articles that are cited hundreds of times and when i go and search the citations i realize that these people have never ever opened a file to read this article they cite people in academe started citing citations it's one thing and then the other thing is that academic writing is very formulaic Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, I told you one of the things that makes me tick is um, empowering people to learn mm-hmm. and experience the world in a different way. And I realized that I, I my, uh, my possibility to get kicks through that in academe are very limited because mm-hmm. I'm lauded, but I'm not read. So, and the other thing is that there is no pleasure in writing academic articles because they're pretty formulaic to get in the journals they need to get into. Mm -hmm. So I thought I will start a blog because it is the opportunity to help and reach a lot of people. And I can use it as an opportunity to learn to to write stuff that people really enjoy reading. Mm. And that is kind of, that was a bit more difficult process. So, of course, it started with um, me writing about debt and money management, uh, where, of course, the academic background shows because I did a lot of research and I did a lot of um, kind of um, novel stuff. So the money principle is not like most personal finance blogs where you can read this kind of stuff everywhere, Mm. right? 
but then you see uh, now more more recently i have moved more into making money and investing mm-hmm. which is kind of a, another interesting thing but people had to tell me that the money principle have, have, has become an investing blog lately mm-hmm. for me to notice so it has a whole range of things but it's um it's all good fun and did you set out to target anybody specifically and i think earlier on you you mentioned the fact that uh, one of the things that makes you tick is sparking curiosity amongst young people did you set out trying to talk about money and talk about finance for young people or, or is it just a generic website that anybody can have a look at uh, no, it is not age-related, actually. Mm-hmm. Anybody who is in financial trouble and has got fed up with it mm-hmm. and wants to get out of it should go on the money principle, I think. Mm-hmm. That is that is the people I have been targeting. Mm-hmm. So really, anybody who's in debt, one of the starting points for them would be the money principle blog. Yes, debt or any kind of financial trouble. So it may be, um, well, I can't get a mortgage because my credit score is crap. Yes. So, so then I have a kind of guide, which is on the front page of, uh, of Google, I has to add, uh, which is a comprehensive guide to credit scores and how to, what to do, mm-hmm. standard and non-standard, to, to get your credit score up. And I'm, I'm very well placed to do that because my credit score is really boring. It's 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 nine 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 because you get very good credit score if you get obscene amount if you have obscene amount of debt and you pay it off and then everybody wants to give you money which is not a good idea to take it but, <laughs> right so uh, yes so anybody who is experiencing some sort of financial pressure or um, one thing that sorry I have to tell you that there are actually two issues that that I'm very curious about, but I haven't tackled in a targeted way, and I probably will do now. One of them is women and investing. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very big issue and a very interesting one, because when women invest, we absolutely rock. We outperform men outright. And the latest research published about two days ago actually uh, shows that uh, female uh, hedge... um, hedge fund managers outperform their male counterparts by 50%. They double the returns, basically. But very few women invest, right? And only about 11% of the hedge fund managers are women, which Mm. is very, very few, Mm. right, compared to other professions. As to how many invest, it's kind of very interesting because I've been trying to find data about that and it is very very difficult to come across such data at all the interesting thing about this one is that i don't think it's a matter of writing on the money principle about that Mm. it's about a little bit of writing and i think it's more a way an issue of um, organizing workshops where one deals with women's fears about investing Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of it boils down to, to, to insecurity and fear, particularly fear of loss. 
Loss aversion is a very kind of powerful thing, my colleagues at the finance department tell me. Now, the other issue I'm very interested in is uh, baby boomers and what are we going to do because a lot of baby boomers haven't made proper provisions for their later years. Mm. So they're going to be facing indignity in old age, I'm afraid. Yeah. And for a lot of us, it's not late to do something about it, right? But it's very interesting because a lot of personal finance is directed towards millennials. Yes. That is why you asked me about young people. But actually, the millennials, to the extent to which millennials understand very simple things, like you're never, you're not going to have jobs, you will be a work nomad. So learn how to be flexible and get work. Learn to manage your finances accordingly. Don't forget, you don't actually need to get on the property ladder. That yeah. is over overrated. You don't need to own a house to to accumulate wealth, mm. wealth and this kind of thing. I think that they kind of simple rules. They need that if they learn, they will be fine. They're still young. Mm -hmm. The baby mm -hmm. boomers are old, mm -hmm. and a lot of us are not going to die off quietly in our sleep. <laughs> And we will cause a lot of trouble for everybody, including ourselves. So I think that is a big issue. Yeah, and of course it fits perfectly into what you were describing earlier as financial problems that people face. And, and uh, it is a bit of a, um, a hobby horse of mine, actually, Maria. And there is a lot of focus. If you talk to any marketeer these days, it doesn't matter whether they're marketing airlines or whether they're marketing health clubs or whatever it is, the big buzzword is millennial. And I do get get a little bit cross about that because you know, there are more than billions of millennials and you can't segment the entire world into one one group like that. You know, there are millennials that like rock music. There are millennials who like hip hop. They will have general traits, but there seems to be an obsession with millennials at the moment. And as you say, there are there are different generations with different issues that need addressing. And, and it's quite refreshing to hear somebody talking about a group of people other than millennials. But what annoys me even more is that um, because the Internet is seen largely as the game of young people, mm. the millennials dominate it. And mm. there's a lot in personal finance. And some of these kids are my friends because I'm very well implicated in the American, the U.S., personal finance blogging scene mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of very interesting because they actually blame their very hard lot in life <laughs> to their parents who are late wave baby boomers mm -hmm. usually mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm terribly sorry but when when you compare what we probably went through in the late 60s and 70s east or west right so I actually wrote a, 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 a piece for uh, Budgets Are Sexy, mm -hmm. where I was saying that actually my generation is, I call it the lost generation, because mm -hmm. lose out, we lose out on things all the time. So mm -hmm. think about it. The previous generation had the Beatles, we had Bonnie M, <laughs> right? We listened to rubbish music. Uh, the fashion was horrendous in the late 70s and mm. 80s, we were all unemployed. All people with university degrees in mid-80s, mid to late 80s, we were unemployed, east to west, right? Mm. So we, it hit us at the beginning of our careers. And then what happened in 2008 to 11? It, our generation, 
who in our late 40s was hit again because we were the ones who lost our jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And then our kids look at us and go, yep, you exhausted the world. But there's one thing they were raised with, and I think my sons were raised with that as well. We raised them to believe that they're completely irresistible Mm -hmm. and wonderful, Mm -hmm. right? And they can't accept that they're actually quite ordinary and occasionally the world doesn't owe them a living. Mm. They have to do something about it, right? So there is a lot, but but the whole thing is getting into this generational tensions and war. And I think it's exploited by the politicians at the moment, particularly in the US and the UK, which I'm quite concerned about. So that is one of the money principle I probably will start tackling issues of um, baby boomers mm-hmm. and issues of women particularly investing for women the website's got some really interesting tools maria i'm looking at a net worth calculator i'm looking at a monthly budget planner but the thing that really uh, caught my attention was something which you call the four pillars of the game of wealth could you give me a little bit of background about what that is and, and how does that help people uh, basically i believe that um we may be overthinking this whole thing a bit Mm -hmm. with personal finance and making it far too complex and um, it seems to me that the the reason we make it too complex is because most of personal finance is very very micro level Mm -hmm. finance right so what I was trying to do is to say okay what are if I had to talk to my teenage son, who is 16 at the moment, and um, tell him uh, what he should really watch for, what are the four or six or whatever things, as it happens, I, I came up with four, that are most important mm. in personal finance, I came up with these four, what I call, pillars of wealth, of the game of wealth, and they are, you have to learn how to make money. You have to learn how to spend money. It's very interesting because a lot of people will try to teach people how to save money. I think this is a bit like dieting. Mm-hmm. When, when you teach your children or other people, um, you don't teach them how to diet, you teach them how to eat healthily. Yes. Right? So that is why the second pill is about controlling controlling spending mm-hmm. right it's not about saving but learning to spend properly and of course without getting out of debt but here i mean consumer debt mm-hmm. i have to clarify because i think having a mortgage may not be such a bad idea particularly when interest rates are low mm-hmm. uh, but getting out of debt is incredibly important because i think that without getting out of debt you can't move anywhere yeah right and investing for the future is an absolute must at the moment. And this investing for the future, of course, can take different forms. Uh, When we say invest for the future, we usually think about money and stocks and shares. But actually, um, learning how to survive without shelter is a great investment in the future, particularly if Donald Trump continues this game with the North Koreans, (laughs) right? Uh, So, or learning different skills 
is great investment for the future because for most people, most of their earning comes from their labor, mm. right? It doesn't come from anything else. So, yes, and that, that seemed to me, these four pillars of the game of wealth seemed um, to me to express very well the basics mm. of how people become wealthy. By the way, I don't believe that people should have obscene amounts of money to be wealthy. Uh, I think that they should have uh, enough money to to kind of nourish their lives and align their money and their basic values, right? Yeah. So I know this sounds a bit kind of of a, a bit abstract, but it isn't. It I can translate it for you. Basically, this means that people should learn to put where their money where their mouth is, mm. right? And that is. The, the foundation of being wealthy, not rich. No, it's a life balance, isn't it? You know, you often you read stories of people who win millions on the lottery and then two years later they're miserable because their relationships are broken up and they've lost all their money and they've lost all their friends. So, yeah, I can understand exactly what you're saying there. Yes, yes, and you have to align. So, basically, even if you don't have any money, you can feel very wealthy because, um, do you know, when we were paying off um, our debt, it was a wonderful thing because I used to come all the, come up all the time with ways to have memorable fun with my son who was a very young kid mm-hmm. back then. Um, that cost nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? So we will go and play in the park. We will play tennis in the park. Mm-hmm. Or we will invent a completely different game that doesn't cost anything or we will learn something. So it was, it, it's kind of very empowering to think. And it's, it's exactly this empowerment that makes you feel happy and wealthy, right? So you're trying to encourage people through the website. In fact, I'm looking at a, at a summary page here. You're, in, you're encouraging people to grow their income, to eliminate their debt, to build their wealth, and actually, most importantly, to love their lives. That's really yes. what you're all about. Yes. By the way, there is a post which um, is called something along the lines um, uh, why um, uh, clever people prefer personal, uh, prefer um, financial health, not wealth. Mm -hmm. Because you see, that is the other thing. Loving your life and doing all these things and um, running the four pillars of, of of the game of wealth and all this stuff is actually about becoming financially healthy. Mm-hmm. That is linked to the crisis thing. Mm-hmm. And being financially healthy is a combination of um, the objective situation. So basically, you have to have positive networks mm-hmm. right? and this, all these kind of things. But apart from the, the money numbers, it is about um, having, uh, being aware of your values and using your money to do the stuff you love. Mm. Right? So I one of the things for me of not having debt and having substantial positive cash monthly cash flow at the moment and this kind of thing is that I can go to a shop and buy flowers. Yes. And it is a small thing, right? But it absolutely makes my day. <laughs> and when my life is not very good, it makes my weekend month. By the way, but that's uh, 
So, so that is the kind of thing I'm talking about. So if somebody, it, it is um, the other thing people should remember, and I signal through my site, but there is an American uh, blog called Afford Anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually quite simple. Uh, people can afford anything, but they can't afford everything. Yes. And that is the alignment between values and money, right? So if if somebody um, likes um, their designer clothes, fine, they can afford designer clothes, but then they have to be aware that they may not be able to go skiing, yeah. right? And yeah. you choose depending on what you value more, right? So I can't, I don't care about designer clothes. Oh, oh. Everything I wear probably costs about 10 pounds altogether. <laughs> fine. I work from home a lot, but I love my jewelry, right? Mm-hmm. So from time to time, I buy nice jewelry, but apart from that, chasing marathons is the thing I love most. Chasing marathons means running marathons around, around the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. Because that is where my where my priorities lie. I it gives me much more pleasure to travel somewhere and run a marathon than it gives me to buy a new iPhone X. Yes. Or something. Right? So it is and that is a very interesting thing about money management and uh, how you do that. And then the other thing, very important, is positive outlook. I wrote my la- my last article on the money principle is about um, poverty mentality, really, because I'm noticing that more and more people, young people, develop poverty mentality. Yes. So they will go, no, 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 I don't have this. I don't want this. So I have a teenage nephew who goes to his father, no, 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 these trousers are very expensive. I don't want them. Which they're not poor, right? Yeah. He's decided somehow that it is kind of... And it's very, very limiting thing. So people have to ask themselves always, what makes something possible? What do you want? And what will help you achieve it? If you work out the conditions that make something in your life possible, mm-hmm. I bet, I can bet quite a bit, actually, that you will get there, right? So it's kind of very interesting for me to to combine this mentality, psychology and stuff with money and what it does. I think this is fascinating, and, and, and obviously when I first looked at the Money Principle website and saw the strapline, Real Life Strategies for Building Wealth, as always, I was just thinking wealth equals money. But you've done a really good job today of, of explaining to me that actually from from your point of view, you're thinking as well of wealth as more than just money. It's it's lifestyle, it's relationships, it's it's being happy, it's loving your life, as you said elsewhere in the in the website. Grow income, eliminate debt, build wealth, love your life. So we've covered a lot of ground today, Maria, but if there was one thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from all the experiences you've had developing your career as a business school professor, building the Money Principles website, what would that one thing be? Um Never forget that the only purpose of money is to nourish your life. And what I also ask my guests on the Marketing and Finance podcast is is thinking a little bit outside of what you do day to day. 
and look at the the wider world, perhaps from a marketing point of view or a finance point of view. But ha- have there been any products that you've seen recently or a marketing campaign that's made you sit up and think, wow, I really like the look of that? And if the, if it was, can you explain to me what it what it was and what you liked about it? I had a period when I bought individual shares. Mm-hmm. Of course, I wanted to learn. Uh, I, I will never do this without learning a lot about, um, about the companies. And uh, one of the shares I owned was Tesla. And I actually think that uh, what Tesla is doing and what Elon Musk is doing is absolutely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it is not... It's it's very interesting because it's very well, but very subtly marketed through the internet mm-hmm. because they have adverts. And then what I find particularly fascinating is how the whole business concept goes through the whole stream of renewable energy. So it's not only electric car because when we say Tesla, a lot of people think electric car. Yeah. Right. But it is also the roof which I find much more interesting. It is also the batteries, which will solve the problem of keeping the energy. And I think, for example, that um, a, an incredibly good piece of marketing, and the shares reacted to this, was when Elon Musk, uh, in an interview to a newspaper, said that if somebody gives him, I forgot how many days it was, but it was something like four weeks or something, mm-hmm. he will solve the energy deficit issue in part of Australia. Right. Right? He will build generators. He will solve it through with using uh, solar energy. Mm-hmm. But he, he said that he will basically build... Um, um, what is the word? Sorry, I'm getting tired. Uh, he will build... Um, it's not generators, but it is clusters of large batteries. Right? Yeah. Where he, he will stop. So I think that was a great marketing for what Tesla is doing. Mm. And the share immediately jumped. So it is it is very interesting because some advertising about products is very much in your face. Yeah. Right? So I don't know, you get French and Italian cars where inevitably there is a really sexy man doing something to a blonde leggy woman. <laughs> right. Or something, and that is kind of not. I I think we're entering a world, a time of very subtle advertising. Yes, uh, which we don't even realize we notice until somebody like you makes us kind of reflect on that. And the next question that I ask people on the podcast, Maria, is: Is there a business book that you've read recently that you'd like to share with the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast? Uh, yes, there is. And actually, I'm not sure how much of a business book it is, but it helps business immensely, right? Or it helped me. Mm-hmm. Uh, please, I have to, I, you have to beep some of the stuff. Yeah. Called The Subtle Art of Not Giving uh, an F. Yeah, I've heard of it. And it is absolutely fascinating read. Mm. Yeah, it's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, and it's written by Mark Manson. And and I checked him out. Actually, he's kind of a youngish guy. He's mid-30s or something. 
but the book is really exceptional. Yeah, I heard him interviewed on another podcast recently, the James Altucher Show, and it was a really long interview. It was oh, about an yes. hour and a half. James Altucher. Oh, <laughs> I have a big crush on James Altucher. Well, check out the interview with Mark on the James Altucher show because he talks about that book and how he read wrote it in an immense amount of detail. It's a really good episode to listen to. Maria, fabulous to yes. talk to you this afternoon and we've covered a lot of ground. It's been fascinating to talk to you about your journey from business school professor to money principal blogger and almost mm. like lifestyle coach. I'm hoping there's people listening to the podcast might want to get in touch with you. So what's the best way that people should connect with you? Well, um, they can get in touch through The Money Principle. Mm -hmm. Or I also have Twitter. The Twitter is at Money Principle. And I will include links to your Twitter and also to The Money Principle website and some of the interesting blogs that you've written on the website in the show notes of this podcast which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash maf that's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash maf maria thanks again for coming on the marketing and finance podcast it's been a pleasure to speak to you and hopefully one day we'll be able to meet in person and have a coffee thanks roger looking forward to it and thanks for having me it's been a pleasure chatting to you thank you Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.